Bills fans, and welcome back to the Holy Hardwood Podcast with Tony and Pat. Tonight, we're going to take a deep dive and, and look at our last game against the Denver Nuggets. We're going to go ahead and shortly review our statistics from the game, as well as segueing into some broader topics regarding overall construction of the roster and uh, the current fit of that said group. Uh, Tony, do you want to go ahead and start uh, everybody off with uh, some of our stats from that Nuggets game? Yeah, thanks, Pat, uh, for that. So the Pels ended up uh, losing 134 to 116, uh, but Jordan Hawkins had 31 points on 10 of 19 from the field and 7 of 14 from three, while also bringing in seven rebounds and three assists. Brandon Ingram had 22 points, uh, two rebounds, five assists on 10 of 22 from the field. Zion Williamson had 20 points, 10 rebounds, nine assists. Matt Ryan off the bench had 17 points, uh, four of six from three. And Dyson Daniels also contributed nine points on four of five from the field. Yeah, great. Thanks for uh, going ahead and relaying those stats. Um, you know, as we typically like to say here on the Holy Hardwood, we think the stats certainly play a, you know, a large role in, in determining what we're actually seeing there in the production this team is, um, you know, putting out on the floor. But we certainly don't only rely on stats. Um, we like to use our, um, you know, knowledge of the game and, and our expertise and, and, you know, tell tell the fans what we really are seeing on a nightly basis. So, um, you know, in regards to what we actually saw out there while still using those stats to you know, help lead us in the right direction. Um, you know, obviously it, it was a tough night. Um, you know, kind of what we're seeing here is, is, is similar, right? It's that tale of two halves, um, you know, quarter to quarter. Um, you know, things are changing and, and things are changing quickly. I, I, I struggle to, at this point, fully grasp, um, you know, exactly what is causing the discrepancy, right? We've hammered home a lot of the, you know, talking points that we have felt in terms of, um, you know, roster rotations, you know, defensive scheme. And, you know, we, we've talked about a lot of things, but, you know, a game like that, when you're playing a team like Denver, you know, the defending world champions, um, you know, albeit they are down, um, you know, Jamal Murray. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a loaded team over there, right? They're, they have arguably the best player on the planet currently and everything kind of drives through him, you know? So albeit, yes, Jamal Murray is a really good player. He brings a, another dimension to them. Um, but that group is loaded, man. And and this is not a group that is not accustomed to playing with Jamal or without Jamal Murray. Um, so, you know, you don't see the typical drop off that you might see um, from night to night when you look at other teams that are kind of, you know, going in to play games without their, their number two guy in the lineup. You know, this is a group in Denver that, that played, you know, essentially an, an entire season without him um, and played at a very high level. Um, if memory, you know, is correct, I believe, Tony, that um, the year that Murray was out with that ACL injury, I believe they, if not made it to the, um, you know, semifinals in the West, I, I actually believe they made it to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just going off those points that you're kind of saying, this is, you know, not uncharted area for uh, the Nuggets here. You know, they've had a lot of time, not um, only with Jamal Murray being out, but Michael Porter's been in and out of the lineup and Aaron Gordon as well, just with little injuries here or there. So, you know, Jokic kind of knows how to get this team running, uh, depending on who is out there on the floor. And 
uh, you kind of saw that it took them a little while um, in that first half to get going. But once they got there in the second half, they turned everything around like you saw. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, one thing to keep in mind is, right, you know, there were some things that, that were certainly telling and some things that were, you know, maybe borderline concerning. And I think those are some of the, the bigger picture things that we'll go ahead and, and get into here in a little bit. But, you know, you still got to keep in mind, right, it, it is one game. It is early in the season. If anything against Denver tells us um, that, you know, one game truly doesn't matter is, you know, over the last year or two, we've we've really handled the Nuggets and, and really have played them really well. And if not, have owned the series with them. Um, you know, we're neck and neck and, and, you know, we see how that turned out, right? They're, they're defending NBA champions and we were scraping by to, you know, get in the playoffs via the play in, you know, back to back years. So by us losing to Denver, do I certainly believe that now that, you know, the sky is falling and and that's the case? No, I mean, it's one game, certain teams on a given night are going to match up, um, with teams in different ways, but, um, certainly a situation where I feel like we can take a lot from it. And it, it certainly opens the doors to, um, you know, a whole lot of other conversations, big picture about this team. Yeah, just from my perspective, kind of just hitting on some of the things that you said there, um, you know, it's not like we don't match up well against these guys. You know, it's not a lack of talent from our perspective or from our end. You know, I just think that Denver from their run last year and getting that championship they truly just know how to you know wither through some storms and you know how to attack teams once they've kind of given that first punch I mean they're champions for a reason so I mean I don't ever think it's a lack of talent with this group like you said you know we've kind of gone neck and neck with them the last couple years I like our matchups with some of our guys against their guys I just think you know Last night, we kind of just came out flat in that third quarter, and that might be just like a thing, a difference between the Nuggets being a championship team and seeing things and been, being there and doing that and, you know, just the Pels not being ready so far this season. You know, in those second halves, it seems like, uh, you know, they really start off really good and are running and are, like I say, said, defending and rebounding in that first half. It seems like it's just that when it trickles over to the second half, we lose that momentum and, you know, we, we lose our uh, defense there, so which then bleeds into our offense and we don't get out and running. But, you know, I think we did a really good job in that first half of doing all those things. It's just how we can kind of correct that uh, moving forward in these next couple games and weeks. Correct, yeah, and, and thanks for calling that out. And, you know, like I said, this game did have a little bit of a different feel to it, right? I think some of that had to do with the fact that, you know, the Pels organization was kind of coming off the news of CJ being down with that injury. And, you know, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of conversation outside of, of the team and in the media and, and things like that, that, you know, although the Pelicans organization was disappointed and, and certainly somewhat deflated over the, you know, the injury to CJ, you know, I, I saw the idea tossed around, um, you know, online in some different areas that, you know, the, the front office saw this as a an opportunity to truly gauge, you know, Brandon and Zion as a duo, you know, see the, the feasibility in terms of, you know, can these guys be two cornerstones of this franchise, not in terms of, you know, their own play and ability, but, but as a group, right? So I think there certainly was a different 
feel coming into this game. I, I would be shocked if not some of that was at least, you know, reverberated internally and, and they were aware of it. And, you know, and obviously I don't I don't want to get too far offline of, of this Nuggets game. Um, but certainly something I'd like to go ahead and, and take a deeper dive into um, is, you know, some of the things that are kind of going around, right? Some of the things that are um, being discussed in terms of, you know, who's at fault for these these Pelican struggles? Um, what is causing the things that we're seeing on the court to occur? Why are we having such highs and lows in terms of discrepancy um, between certain groups um, and other groups? So, you know, obviously I want to open the floor up to um, certainly discuss anything that, that you would like to hammer home more specifically um, about the Nuggets matchup. But uh, once we're finished with that, I would love to go ahead and segue into that and, and spend a large majority of the time um, you know, speaking to the fan base on, on those topics. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I kind of want to speak on the lens of kind of going back to last year in a sense where you saw this Pelicans team had a real struggle of, you know, coming out of the gate during games. And that was the big question last year. Why can't the Pelicans seem to get on the page to start games? Is it Willie's fault for not getting these guys up? You know, at the end of the day, these guys are professionals. And it seems like this year, like I've said, they've done a pretty good job of, you know, getting off that bus and starting games really, really good. And that's when the offense looks good as well, is when they're all upbeat, they're getting stops, they're running, they're gunning, like you saw last night, hitting those, like, transition threes. When this team doesn't have to think about necessarily what they have to do offensively, like I said in a previous podcast, you know, they're very hard to match up against with, you know, the Brandons, the Zion, CJ, who's out now. But now you're seeing the evolution and, you know, certain guys stepping up like a Jordan Hawkins and Matt Ryan and, you know, different players of that sort. So I don't I don't necessarily know what what's going on, you know, after once they go into halftime and why they're coming out so flat. But you know, you've seen seen the numbers on this where in first quarters, you know, they're doing good. They've outscored opponents by six points. In the second quarter, it seems to be a really hot quarter where we've outscored our opponents in seven games by 54 points. But in your third and fourth quarters, you're getting outscored 65 out of the break and then 30 in the fourth in those seven games. So I don't know what needs to change there, but I've really liked how they've at least, you know, flipped the script from last year and seem to be coming into these games really sharp and, you know, really hitting teams hard. It's just how are they going to be able to put these things together for a full game? Yeah, understood. And, and that certainly is a, you know, that's a line of thinking that a lot of the fans are having, you know, on a nightly basis is trying to work their way through this. Um, you know, it's it's very hard to look at these games and to think about these games and to – not allow yourself to be reactionary, right? Everybody, that's that's the you know the great part about sports and being a fan is, you know, everybody truly is invested in, you know, this team and this organization and more importantly these players. But I think it's important to, although be a fan and all you know, be invested. You know, you've got to remove yourself. You know, you I. Anybody else in the media, anybody else talking about it, you know, people on TV, nobody knows what's going on inside that organization, right? 
nobody can gauge the level of comfortable, you know, how comfortable these guys are on a night to night basis. And, you know, nobody takes, um, you know, a big picture look in terms of, you know, what direction is this team headed in and what course has this team taken in the past that has currently got them to this place. Um, and, you know, and that's something that, you know, as we work through this year and obviously, right, and we can all kind of see it coming that there are certainly some, you know, other platforms or, you know, individuals that are talking about this, the same topic on a nightly basis that, you know, aren't, in my opinion, taking that same level of thought and truly stepping back from it and trying to, you know, gauge the situation and provide insight on it from a, a non-emotional point, right? I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm not, I have not been a Pelicans fan for life. It's not like I'm from New Orleans. You know, I don't have any of these same, you know, deep-rooted things that I understand the fans that have been, you know, Pelicans fans for 20 years, right? If they've gone through the ups and downs, you know, they are, they're starving for a, a competent contending team. But I also think that when you are so hungry for it and you are so connected from it, it's very difficult to look at these things with a level of rationale, you know, I, and I think that that's something that I, I hope here on the Holy Hardwood that, you know, obviously us coming from a different perspective, you know, being fans of the team now for five or six years and really only can look at it for ideally what it's worth under this regime, right. And this somewhat group of guys, we don't compare it to past regimes and past guys, you know, AD's group, Chris Paul's group. We don't we don't do that. We're we're simply comparing it off of what we're seeing on the floor, what we're seeing night to night, and you know, doing our best job to relay that into feedback, um, you know, for those listeners and those people that have the same level or, or the same interest in the Pelicans that we do. Um, but I think we're already seven games in. You know, we're starting to kind of get some of that. I don't want to call it clickbaity feedback, right? But I just, I don't think there's a lot of things out there right now that are accurately depicting what we're seeing on a night-to-night basis. And um, I didn't know if that's something maybe you have an opinion on or if that's, you know, an area where you just want to kind of tip it up and just kind of let me go ahead and, and speak on some of the things that I'm seeing and, and you know, provide my my insight and my opinion on it, whether, you know, others believe that that's, that's correct or incorrect. Um, you know, that's something that I feel like is my responsibility as, um, you know, a co-host on this show is to essentially provide our, our listeners with that, with that, you know, difference of opinion. Yeah, most definitely, Pat. Um, I'll let you kind of tip it up from there, from your perspective on all those things. And I kind of just want to point something out or just hit on something just before you go in on all that. You know, I kind of agree with kind of what you've been saying or outlining and, you know, we are seven games in and there are things starting to, you know, circulate and be set out there, which really, like you're saying, it's seven games in. It was just one game against the Nuggets. Yes, there's some glaring thing that's, things that we've talked about here on this podcast and everything like that. But I think, you know, sometimes we just need to take a deep breath and see it how it is. And, you know, certain things will usually iron itself out, you know, Brandon and Zion, just for example, their offensive woes to start the year. You know, they're two great players. You go back to the law of averages. 
more than likely those two are going to perform at a you know all-star level or even better as the season goes on, as they get more games under their belt and keep continuing on this season. Uh, but my main biggest thing from that is just to, you know, for us to be successful, everybody's got to be bought in on that other end. And I think that's truly where uh, these wins are going to be starting to stack up is to, to try to focus more on that defensive end, which, like we said, will bleed into our offense, which ultimately I think then more listeners or fans of the team will see those guys on the offensive end start to take off. Uh, but until that happens, you know, you're still going to be seeing some games where, you know, Zion might struggle or B.I. might struggle or other people involved with the team might struggle. So that's kind of my two cents about it. And uh, from here, I'll just let you kind of, you know, go go in on what you want to talk about. And if you need to throw it over to me for my perspective as well, uh, I'll be here. Yeah, thanks, Tony. And I appreciate the opportunity to, you know, go ahead and, and sit down and talk about this a little bit more in depth. Um, you know, and I, I agree with a lot of the things that you're saying. And, you know, a lot of those things capture the, you know, some of the conversations and the places that I'm going to take this, um, you know, with the rest of this pod. But, you know, like you said, it's seven games in. We are seven games in to a completely different playing style. You know, playing with a group of guys with skill sets that have not been here for three years, four years, you know, seven games into a new offensive identity, a complete change of pace. We are also playing with um, a guy that we did not have for the entire season. Um, you know, there are a ton of variables that cannot be discounted or discredited when you're looking at a seven game sample size. I mean, we are not even 10% into the season and I am already hearing from other well-established platforms and, you know, groups of individuals that, you know, have a big following, you know, other members of this fan base entrust that group to provide them with a high level of detail and breakdown on their favorite team and or players. I don't take that lightly. You know, I understand that it's a responsibility of ours to provide that feedback as objectively as possible. And that's something that I personally do not believe is occurring. I think there are a lot of preconceived agendas that certainly some people would like to be the case and are certainly going to try to spin anything um, in that direction to fit those narratives. But, you know, being in a position like they are and, and what we're striving to be, that that's just not the correct way to do it, right? Uh, you've got to set that stuff aside. And, and you know, with that being said, I, it would be wrong of me not to set this conversation up with saying, you know, I am a big BI fan. I, it's, it's, it's public knowledge. I am a fan of his game. I'm a fan of the way he... He moves the way that he thinks. I'm a fan of, you know, his perspective on the game. I always have been, regardless of how the rest of his career shakes out. I will always be a fan of his. Um, but at the same time, I will be as objectively and as hard on him as anybody else because I do have high expectations on him, just as does this fan base, does this organization, does himself, most importantly. 
Um, now, do I think Brandon has played great basketball this year? No, I don't. I think he has looked not not disengaged, but I think I think he's struggling to adapt within seven games to a completely different play style with a completely different cast of individuals and players around him that he has not had, which is a good thing. That's great that he has more perimeter help. You know, how many games or how many screenshots did we take where Brandon was driving to the rim and he had three guys looking at him and nobody giving a damn who was on the perimeter as a threat that he was playing next to? You know, it's it's a blessing that this is the situation. But you can't expect things to change overnight. You know, that's just an unrealistic way to do it. And that's, honestly, that's why a lot of you individuals are not in the position to be making decisions at the NBA level. If you feel that seven games in, because this is what you saw against the defending champions on a given night, that that should decide how the team should be built and the direction they should go in, then, you know, you're you're already stating that you are not equipped to to do that job. You know? And, and, and I'll say the same about Zion. I, I want Zion to succeed. I want Zion to be the player that he has the ability to be. I truly believe Zion Williamson in the right shape, in the right condition, if healthy, if locked in, has the skill set to be an MVP caliber player. You know, probably not even 10 guys in the world probably are legitimate MVP candidates in terms of talent and ability. He is one of them. Now, it's his job to maximize that and put himself in a position to utilize that to the best of his abilities. You know, nobody can do that. You know, he is a grown man. He has probably close to $200 million written to his name coming into his bank account. He's a set man. Financial incentive or fame or anything like that is not going to motivate him. You know, his own personal drive and dedication and motivation to be the best player that he possibly can be and be one of the best players on the planet are going to be one of the things that drive him to ultimately accomplish that goal or to fall short. You know, I I don't believe that 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 those two have played very well, um, you know, this year as a group. I also don't have the expectation that you'll sit there and say, well, this group has been together for five years. These guys have been together for five years. Well, yes. Have they been in the same city for five years? Well, no, not even that. Zion was gone to Portland. Um, No, so even even that leg you kind of fall short on. Have they had the same coaching staff for five years? Well, no, they haven't. They've gone through three different coaches who all played three different styles. Have they had the same supporting cast for all five years? Well, no, they didn't. They initially started off with a backcourt of Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick and a, and a center and Derek Favors, and then that didn't work. And then they went the route of Eric Bledsoe and Stephen Adams. And again, uh, uh, they went in the direction of a philosophy that never made any sense for his skill set or B.I.'s. And then they segued to, you know, Willie Green, who brought in a defensive mentality and, you know, ultimately seems like a really good fit in terms of um, – being a player's coach and really doing a good job of keeping the locker room together. But, you know, has certainly, you know, he's a first time coach. Who's also going through growing pains at the same time as those growing pains, Zion and Brandon have both been out. So yes. Have they been together on the same franchise for five years? Yes. They've played 
a very, very, very small number of games together with a variety of different casts and playing styles that neither one of them have been able to settle into. And yet we're supposed to believe that seven games in, again, brand new playing style. We're going to space it out, much more shooters. You guys aren't going to play the same style that we have forced you into, right? When looking at Brandon last year and the year before, who had no space, who had to carry the offense by himself. Seven games in, you're supposed to understand how to play like a well-oiled machine and play like the 2016 to 2023 Golden State Warriors. Our expectation is we're going to shoot 43s a night, and that's how we're going to beat people. Well, newsflash, not even the Golden State Warriors of 2016, 17, 18, 19 were good enough to roll the ball out there and shoot 43s and only play that style to win a title. They, they couldn't do that. Were they a great defensive team? Sure. Were they a really good shooting team with impeccable firepower to blow teams out of games because of that? Sure. But they also played inside the arc. They went and got one of the best mid-range scorers in the league in Kevin Durant because they knew that closing out games, they couldn't go down there and only jack up threes night after night after night. They had to play within the three-point line and the restricted area. That is where playoff games and championships are won. You don't believe that? Well, let's look back at the last five NBA champions, right? Sure. Did the Nuggets shoot a lot of threes? They did. Was Jokic really good on the interior? Yes, he was. But I know for a fact Jamal Murray posted up a lot of smaller guards in the block and played on the elbow extended. I know Nikola Jokic, again, one of one, greatest player on the planet, caught the ball at the free throw line, played around the mid post, extended free throw line, and played in the mid range. So they did it. Let's look back beyond them, right? Let's look at some other teams, even Golden State. You know, the precedent that everybody wants to look at and emulate and play like, although nobody else has Stephen Curry. They didn't start winning those games and look like the title favorite until Andrew Wiggins started playing at an incredible level as a 6'7", 6'8", wing. Now, was he making some perimeter shots? Sure he was, but he wasn't shooting 8 to 10 threes a night on high volume and also shooting 40%. He was attacking the rim. He was playing in the mid-range. He was playing in the post. That's how he was playing. Right? Let's look at another team. Milwaukee. The year before. And everybody gives Giannis all the pub and Drew Holiday and all of that. But I think most people would say that the reason that they got over the top is how well Chris Middleton started playing. Chris Middleton is a guy that can hit outside shots. He's a guy that can get to the rim. But he also lived in the mid-range. He was the guy that lived in that 17 to 18 foot range, playing against smaller guys, hitting contested mid-range shots, because when the game slows down, that's what you have to do. You know, I'm not saying a team should live solely shooting 17 footers, but to set the idea and the precedent out there that there's no place for anything to be played in the mid-range, and that the only way to play is to drive downhill with five guys looking at you and to kick it out and spray for 50 to 60 threes a night is the only way to win in 2023 and to win a title and to build a roster is, is honestly, it's irresponsible. It's just not factually true. If, if you don't believe that, let's keep going. Toronto, right? Who did they trade for? They traded for a 6'7 wing. Again, 
has the ability to shoot threes, has the ability to get to the rim, but he's also a guy that lives in the mid-range. He lives in the extended post. He posts up smaller guys when he has a mismatch. So I, I think it's incredibly inaccurate and, again, irresponsible to start peddling seven games in that this team is a failure when Brandon Ingram is on the floor, although I haven't been a fan of his completely this year, and I think he isn't in a good rhythm, and I think he is struggling to find his way within this system. But to solely pin it on him and to say that the reason they can't win or will never win is because he wants to take mid-range shots and has no desire to take a perimeter shot is just not true. I'm sure Brandon wants to shoot from the perimeter. Why would he not want to sh- you know, shoot open jump shots? He's not shooting it very well. And I know for a fact, as my you know, past experience as a player, if I'm not shooting on the floor at a certain part of the game or a per- certain part of the season at a very high clip, I'm not going to keep running back there to keep shooting those shots. I'm going to go back to something that I know that I am confident in to help me get back into a better groove. And that's what we're seeing. We are seeing him struggle offensively, which is not something that he typically does. He is typically, for a 6'8", 6'9", wing, one of the more efficient guys at generating offense as a scorer. That's what he does. He's one of the best scorers at that level. you know. But he is looking back to something that he is comfortable with to get himself going. And although it's not ideal and he's not playing great, we cannot seven games in start talking about the fact that he's a bum or he can't play or the reason that they're not winning X, Y, and Z and they're coming out flat in the third is because of that. You know, I I just, I can't get behind that and I never will. You know, again, don't think he's playing great. I don't think Zion is playing great right now. They are also missing a lot of key guys that this group looks a lot differently if they are there. So, you know, on that front, I, I just, I, I wouldn't be doing my job here if I, if I didn't keep it honest and keep it a buck and, you know, essentially at least voice my displeasure with hearing that, um, especially from a group that I feel like has a, um, a responsibility to, you know, go ahead and paint an accurate picture. Couldn't agree more, Pat. Um, kind of with all that being said and, you know, just hit, hitting on the BI point and like Zion point is, is what I was kind of trying to say is, you know, with these guys that you have for your franchise cornerstones, to be a fan for the Pelicans, obviously you're going to ride and die with these guys. Yeah, we can all agree that they haven't been playing well. And from my perspective, I'm always going to believe in what I've seen in previous or past iterations from these guys. At Zion's best, he's a guy who can average 27 or 28 a game, shoot 65% from the field, and nobody can stop this guy. And, and, that's, and that's totally fair, right? And that is what we should be doing because we can only base it off what we have seen in the past. But at the same time, like I said, I love Zion and I wish him nothing but the, the best success. But, you know, the only thing I'm hearing about Zion on a nightly basis is talking about his, you know, desire and the his will to play and he's not playing with any energy and he's not defending and he's not rebounding. 
which are true, which is hurting the team. But all I keep hearing about is, oh, well, the only thing this team should do is put the ball in his hand at the top of the key, which, again, they should utilize. But to paint a picture that this team's problems would all go away if they just played through Zion and spread the floor, that they'd have no problems. Let's keep it honest. Zion has not looked like Zion's self seven games through, and we have at least a legitimate reason to understand or expect that he wouldn't be the same player. It is far more likely that this is the new version of Zion after numerous lower extremity injuries when his game was based on explosion and athleticism and ability to get to the rim and play above people. But yet we're suddenly just saying, yeah, we're going to we're just going to look past that. And it's a more believable thing to say, well, Brandon Ingram just decided to not want to play with his teammates. And I think actually a, an actual quote that I saw was he doesn't want to share the ball. He only wants to pound the ball and play by himself. Well, I, I just that's not true. He has never shown us the desire to do that. Has he been forced to do it? you know, due to who he's playing with? Sure. But those same people were the same people telling him to play that way, right? I don't think that Brandon Ingham just suddenly forgot how to shoot threes. I don't think that he suddenly forgot how to be an efficient scorer. I don't think he forgot how to rebound. And yes, rebounding is a hustle thing. And I will be the first to say, Brandon Ingram needs to rebound at a higher rate for this team to be successful. But I also do know by being a past player, that when you aren't playing very well offensively and you aren't in a good rhythm, it is going to bleed into those other areas. So while I do agree that both of these guys are struggling for different reasons, if you're going to say that, you need to keep the same energy for both guys. You know, you can't also say, tell, sell me on, it's Zion's team, Zion's team, Zion's team, but then he's not going to carry as much of the burden. I think neither one of them have emerged as rightfully saying, this is my team. I think both of them would like to, but until that's the case, both of them are going to get the same level of, you know, criticism from myself. Neither one of them are playing good right now. I think that's a very fair assessment. Zion Williamson is shooting almost 20% less from the field as he had the rest of his career coming off numerous lower extremity energy injuries and nobody's talking about it. And he lives around the rim. He has the easiest level of shot on the floor from a percentage perspective. Anybody who lives six to eight feet away from the rim is going to be expected to shoot at a higher clip, which he has done at a historic rate. But nobody's talking about the fact that that's down 20% and that's not concerning moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that everyone has to be honest about. I mean, this team's going to run as those guys run. And you can't just, you know, pick apart one guy over another when, in all reality, at the end of the day, when I look at it, it says, hey, Brandon, Zion, you need to be better. And I don't necessarily care about the offensive end because, in my belief, I know those guys will step up and rise up and, get to where they need to be. It's all that other stuff, like you said. When this, when Brandon Ingram has six rebounds or more, the percentage of them winning ball games is significantly higher. And I'm sure the stats will back up Zion Williamson as well. 
But like last night, Brandon didn't show up on that end and rebound. Zion, yeah, he ended with 10 or 9 or whatever the case may be. But like you said, he's missing a little more around the rim. So probably four or five of those were those offensive rebounds where he's sticking back his second chance. But until they can fully accept that challenge on the defensive end, I don't necessarily see this team going too far. And there, and should, and there shouldn't – yeah, and there shouldn't be an expectation that they are. But I'm of the belief if it's not going to work, get rid of both of them. But don't, don't spin it. Like seven games in, we can make a realistic assessment of what exactly – whose fault it is and be as strongly as it is when it's just as easy to say and rightfully say and be honest about it. They are not – neither one of them are playing well. A four and three, regardless if that's above your expectation or below your expectation or meets it, they are four and three because of those two. That is the reason why their record is four and three. Right? They they've won some games because of them. They've lost some games because of them. They've lost some other games because they've rested and were injured. But everything revolves around those guys. They are the sun. Everything else revolves around it. You know, and another thing that I saw and heard yesterday, I I heard it as well as saw it, was the concept of, you know, that game was lost in the first quarter because of the way that Brandon came out and dictated the game and how he was playing, as well as the game was lost due to the fact that when Brandon has the ball, he over dribbles, and everybody else decides that they don't care and they check out. Well, do I want Brandon to dribble the ball all the time and over dribble it and to get into rhythm? No. And I'll be the first one to tell him that sometimes he needs to get the, get off the ball faster. He needs to do a better job of that. But if I have to sit there and worry about if my role players, whose job is it is to, you know, play around my two set stars mentally check out because they haven't gotten a touch or are disengaged because either one of those two are getting it to them enough. Well, that's not a problem with my two stars. That's a problem with my role players who need to accept their role and understand that they are not the sun. They revolve around those two. And what those two decide to do offensively dictates what those role players' nights look like. So don't give me this, oh, well, you know, by not getting them involved and not doing that, they check out and then they just... You know, they, they get thrown the ball and they just said, screw it. We don't want to shoot where you've been. made. Well, come on. We're professionals here. This is the NBA, you know, National Basketball Association. You are a professional. Every one of those guys are paid to do their job and to play their role. You know, they are paid to be a role player. They are not paid $150 million over four or five years to be a star and to take on star responsibility. That's the reason why we're sitting here talking about these two. That is their responsibility, which they have come up short so far, which is okay to say. But just to to, to say things like that are just, it's it's mind-boggling, right? That That's not the reason why they lost that game. It's because the role players decided to remove themselves from the game because those guys were, you know, especially Brandon, were removing them from the game but with their, their, his playing style. And he didn't play great. I will tell you that. But that's just that's a fallacy. That's just not true. Yeah, Pat. I mean, 
like we said, we can talk about this for on and on and on and every which way that you want to spin it. But, you know, I think there just needs to be some honesty that, you know, goes around about this team and how people perceive them and see them. Because like we said, we're going to try to keep it honest uh, to the best of our abilities. And, you know, we're going to be hard on these guys because these guys are the stars of the team. They are the franchises and they should be the leaders. You know, something that I heard from Zion is like, I'm still trying to learn how to be a leader after being asked a question after the game. It's like, I get it. You're still younger. You're 23. But when are these guys just going to take it? Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. when is Brandon and Zion going to be like, hey, we've been talking about this for so-called five years now or been together for five years. Yeah, we haven't played the best, but let's go show this league what we can do. And it starts with us every single game. No ands, ifs, or buts. Those guys have to show up from the beginning of the open tip to the end of the game. And if the other guys on the team see them not bringing it, what do you think that their body language or what they're going to do? It's a whole effect that bleeds down to the whole team from top to bottom. Yeah. And obviously that's, that's entirely different in terms of that is not schematic. That is not, that is not anything that anybody else can do. Right. And I was, I said it earlier, I'm not saying this and, and painting a picture that, Oh, well, you know, these guys cannot be, you know, discredited and you cannot, you know, give them an honest feedback of their performances. No, these are the guys and they have to be the guys. I am just as fine if we find out for sure that after this season, they are not the guys, then blow it up. Move them both. Go in a new direction. That's fine. But to take such a short-sighted view at this is just... It's just, you, you, you just cannot operate and make decisions based off of that. You know, I have harped numerous times. This is not as cookie cutter as you think it is. Yes, Zion is a, he is a freak. He is an amazing talent. The things that he can do, no other guy on the planet can do. But to sit there and spin it like it's easy to build a team around him and it's easy to put guys around him that are going to be successful is not true. He is a six foot five power forward who cannot shoot outside of three feet and will not shoot outside of three feet, who will not defend and who will not rebound. That is not easy to cover up and that is not easy to build a team around. You know, I've seen the sentiment numerous times. Well, it's it's both their faults and it's it's impossible for to win with them because, you know, neither one of them will shoot and neither one of them will defend. Well, sure, that that is a hurdle. But part of that hurdle is I shouldn't have a five-man who, B, is immobile, cannot protect the rim, wants to pound the ball with his back to the basket, even though he's not very good at it, and we want to paint him like he's a three-point shooter to space the floor. That's not what he is. It's just, that's just not what his role is, and nobody defends him like that. He can stand out there and hit as many threes as he wants, but nobody's still going to guard him. So you have failed to put the right five man next to him. They have failed for five years. I love Herb Jones as a defender. And yes, is there is there a is there a best case scenario besides them? You know, whether it's Herb or Trey. No, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. But that's part of it. You know, I'm not going to make my decision 
based around Herb Jones. My decision is going to be based around my two best players and most talented players and what they need next to them. If I have to put Herb on the bench and I have to play Trey because Trey is a otherworldly shooter and one of the best shooters in the league, then that's what I will have. That's what I will do. You know, that is, that is just part of the process. But to paint some picture that it's like, oh, well, you know, it, it's, it's not Herb's fault. He shouldn't be asked to do that because those guys can't shoot and everything is their fault. Well, I understand what you're saying, but if it's not his responsibility, don't put him in a position to play next to those guys all the time. You know, and, and, and they've done a good job of doing that with Zion, and that's why a lot of why his plus-minus numbers and those runs have occurred while he's on the floor. Yes, he draws attention, and he kicks to shooters, but he's also playing with more shooters. He is playing with more space. He's not playing with Kyra, who can't shoot. He's not playing as much with Dyson, who cannot shoot. You know, he's playing with the best shooting group that we have on the floor. Rightfully so. But you can't discredit that. Like, you can't just look past that because it doesn't fit your narrative. You know, this team is completely different. And we're seven dang games into this, folks. Seven games. You know, it's just, like you said, at the end of the day, the only thing that this team can do is embrace it, embrace those two, those two have got to accept it, lean into it, accept the responsibility and the challenge in front of them. And then the coaches, the front office, and those other guys need to do their job to be the best version of themselves that they can to support those two. It's a team game. Yes, it is, 100%. But stars drive this league. Nobody has won a title solely based on their role players. Everything comes down to your stars. And if you're not putting them in a position to be as successful as they can, they can be, despite their deficiencies, then you're not doing your job. I don't need to hear that Brandon and Zion can't shoot. That's irrelevant. You knew Zion couldn't shoot five years when you took him, five years ago when you took him. You know, Brandon has shown that he's a capable shooter when he's in rhythm. He shot almost 40%, again, not at a crazy high volume. But he is a very talented and very, very, very good offensive player that gives you a skill set, if utilized properly, that you can benefit from and you can use to your advantage. You know, it's just, there's just a lot of things out there that I just think are truly, at this point, just really, really, really unfair and ultimately doesn't solve the problem. You know, it's just, you're just putting duct tape over the hole rather than doing the right job of patching it up, right? You're just hoping that it holds for some time because I can assure you, if you only thought it was Brandon's fault and you move Brandon and you think that that's the issue, it's not going to fix your other problems. Getting rid of Brandon doesn't isn't going to make you a better rebounding team instantly as a team. It's not going to make you more active defensively and make you more mobile. It's not going to do that. So, I mean, you know, what... I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, just kind of like I've said, it's we've we've said it for you know countless minutes here on tonight's podcast. It's seven games in. Like, yes, we know the deficiencies that this team has, but you gotta you gotta let it breathe a little bit and trust that your guys are going to be coming around. I mean, that's why you do pay them all this money, right? You believe in those two guys. Yeah, CJ's out, but that's besides the point at this point. These guys are good enough to take this team and lead this team, and that's just 
the responsibility that they have. And that's the biggest thing. It's the responsibility. And I will just keep saying it. As long as those guys can just come in and take care of their business and show up every night, this team will come around. It's been seven games. Yeah. Let's look at this, you know, again when we're 25 games in and then see see what's happening at that point. Yeah, and, and rightfully so. If 25 games in, they're playing the exact same way, then it's it's you don't need to bat it around. You don't need to play ping pong with it. It's going to be obvious. You know, if they can't do it, they can't do it. But, like, you got to give them an opportunity to do it and give them what they need to accomplish it. I mean, how many years have we seen LeBron James be the very, very best player in the world, undisputably, arguably the best player in the world? But how many segments have we turned on the TV and say, well, LeBron doesn't have enough help. LeBron doesn't have enough shooting. Even the greatest player in the world cannot reach his ultimate you know, maximum ceiling if he doesn't have what is needed around him. And not only do we not have everything that we we need around those two guys, the things that we have just added are so new that it, it's not a surprise to me. I'm sure B.I. is struggling immensely with the fact that it's like, okay, well, this is entirely different. I actually have guys that can hit perimeter shots. You know, but at some point, I expect him to revert to old bad habits because that's what everybody does as players, as humans. When things get uncomfortable, which he's facing because he's out of rhythm and he's not playing well, he knows it, he's going to revert to habits. He's going to do what he did in the past. So I'm not surprised by it. Despite it not being the best approach, I'm not going to hammer him for it. He knows he needs to be better. I know he needs to be better. That's as cut and dry as it's going to be, you know? And the team knows that. Don't you think all those guys in that locker room, I'm sure probably after, what was it, the the Hawks game and then after this Nuggets game, like they can look at themselves in the mirror and say, hey, I wasn't good enough tonight. Yeah. And I'm sure they're dealing with all of that, like you said, internally, because those guys do hold themselves to a higher standard. And all this newness... Like you're saying, with newer players, a new offensive coordinator with Borrego bringing in a whole new system that they've never played before. Trying to get everybody in rhythm as well as themselves. Like we're saying, you know, Zion hadn't played since January. You know, it's going to take him a little bit. I've seen that be thrown out there a lot. Like, it's he hasn't played since January. He hasn't played, sin, played since January. Like... Okay, if that's the case. Yeah, and nobody's played with him since free. January. You know, it's not just him. It's everybody else. You yeah, can't, I mean. You can't, I mean, you can't look back. And like you said, everybody in that locker room knows it. And I have, I have, if there is anything I am sure about, I am pretty confident that nobody is looking at Brandon with a side eye in terms of teammates. They know how committed he is. They know how badly he wants to win and they know how he views them as teammates. You know, to say, to, to, to even, and I'll even give you a shout out on here. Good boy, Chetta Chaz. For you to say something as irrational as Brandon Ingram is a cancer in the locker room. I mean, shame, I mean, shame on you, Doug. I mean, come on. If there's anybody that's not a cancer in the locker room, it's that guy. 
That guy has almost been kicked out of more games and has been suspended for fighting opposing teams, for fouling his guys hard or running their mouths to, to his teammates more than anybody in the league. That guy is beloved in that locker room. Larry Nance is not turning a blind eye to B.I. Trey Murphy is not turning an eye to him. Herb Jones, nobody is doing that. You know, if, if you're even going to have a conversation that's solely based on your opinion and, and, and rooted in, you, you know, what you think you've seen and, and what you think you've heard and has nothing to do with the actual play on the floor, you can't paint a picture that Brandon is a cancer. Now, you might be able to say that Zion's a cancer because he's actually expressed and has shown you that, A, at times he hasn't wanted to be around. He's expressed unhappiness with being there. Although, you know, you can dispute if it's been reported or not. That, that, that might be true. I'm not saying it's true. But at least that's feasible. That's somewhat something you can support. But to say that, oh, Brandon's the reason we're losing. And he's a cancer in the locker room and everybody has quit playing with him. Instead of just saying, this team isn't playing very well and not having to reinvent the wheel and have to come up with something on the spot because you want clicks and you want views, just just be honest about it. They're not playing well. The group is not playing well. You have guys playing good here and there, and that's when they have good quarters, but they're not, they're not fulfilling their responsibilities on a possession-to-possession basis for four quarters. Nobody is doing that, and that's why you're 500. You know, I mean, it just, you know, take a step back and, you know, I hate to steal a line from our, you know, our guy A-Rod, right? But, you know, R-E-L-A-X, everybody, relax. It's going to shake itself out. It's either going to work or it's not. But to sit here and feel like you have to, like, come up with these big inventive theories just is a waste of everybody's time. Yeah, I mean, I I say this almost every time, you know, watching it. It's like, you're saying, we've been fans of this team for five or six years now, and, you know, it's just like, it's hard to disengage yourself from what's going on and how games turn out because you're such a big fan of this organization or this team or these players. But sometimes you do have to step back and say, hey, you know, this is what's going on right now. All these guys know what's happening. They know that they're coming out flat in these second halves and not playing up to their standard. So just let it play out. Relax. Mm-hmm. And then, like we're saying, if it's 25, 30 games into this and it's still happening, then we have an issue. Then you can start to make those moves or changes as need be. But just enjoy it. There's going to be ups and downs throughout the whole season. You've seen it already with injuries, and so that gets everybody down in the dumps. And now, since we started 4-1 and one and we're looking good, and now we're on a two-game losing streak, now the sky is falling. Just take it game by game, see the subtle improvements, and go from there. Yeah, well said. Well, I think with that, we can go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, Going to be going ahead and and looking forward to that next game. Um, I know where we got a tough Minnesota team that's, um, you know, a good defensive group that's going to certainly test them and um, test you know their commitment to it and and how focused and and um, professional they can be on the offensive end. But again, let's go ahead and take a step back, 
Everybody let it breathe. You know, like you said, everything will shake itself out one way or another. But we have responsibilities as as fans and especially ourselves and other individuals that are, you know, taking it upon themselves to cover this team that you have an oath and a duty to to do it the right way and to report the right stuff. So, you know, hopefully moving forward, we can objectively look at this and, you know, review it and discuss it um, in greater detail as we can. But at the end of the day, that's all we can do. And we got to do it the right way. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. And like you said, we got another opportunity against uh, the Timberwolves at their place, another road game. So, you know, let's, let's try to get this next one. And, you know, hopefully we see those improvements by the guys that we kind of discussed tonight and see where the chips fall and, uh, you know, continue this season.